Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. July 11, 2019, Gina Bacola here and Mike Abadir alongside. Mike, uh, it's crazy when you only host, when we have a show once a week and we miss one, it feels like it's been such a long time since we've had a show. How's everything going? Good, man. Yeah, it does feel like a long time. We've even had a, you know, change of, uh, you know, world champion in soccer. We've got a new track meet or several that are coming into the fold. Uh, a lot of trades, a lot of free agent signings, a lot of activity, a lot to talk about. Uh, interesting all-star game weekend, a fantastic Wimbledon tournament. A lot of good stuff's happened in the last couple of weeks here. Um, where do always love Saratoga opening day, though, you know? Yeah, where do you want to start? Man, I'll tell you what, what pisses me off real fast is, do you have a weather app on your phone? Yeah. Is it pretty accurate? I mean, it tells you how it's, yeah, it's going to rain in two, three hours. The one that I use when I'm at Temple City, I mean, it is pretty spot on like especially with rain and like the it's pretty it's pretty good so if it's supposed to rain in let's say two to three hours you probably have a pretty good idea that yeah. rain's coming right absolutely and uh, now does saratoga as a racetrack does naira have a weather app because I, I don't understand how imagine. you could start a late pick four in race seven and then midway through it decide you know what rain's coming in we're taking it off the turf surface switch Screw up all the pick threes, pick fours, pick sixes, yeah. horizontals. I mean, it's just super frustrating, and especially when you spend some money in the last leg. It's opening day too, so there's a lot of people that are put, you know, investing in it. It's something that you could just announce early on in the card, and people would still, people I think appreciate the honesty and are are more like as long as the fields aren't terrible, they're still going to play. As long as it's not completely decimated by scratches, they'll still play, and. I just don't like it. it. We see we see it happen all the time. It's frustrating, but anytime something like this happens, I'm I'm never really uh too all, all too shocked. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, even if I'm if I'm alive and I hit it, you know, I'm not that thrilled about hitting you know a nine dollar payoff times seven or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, I want yeah, I like the long shot. I want to get the full value of that long shot. I don't want everything to go to the favorite, which is basically how they pay it out. You know, it's as if every horse went to the favorite. It's garbage, and uh, I don't like it one bit. But let's be positive. Great time of the racing calendar when Saratoga and Del Mar are upon us. This Any weekend, early observations from um, day number one? I mean, nothing crazy. I, there were a couple nice fillies that ran in the uh, – O'Neill had a couple nice fillies that ran in the two-year-old race. Then um, he – it, it, it was pretty formful, but but there's actually a, a good – they started Saratoga a little early this year, so that's yep. why it feels a little different. They're going to spread the meat out a little bit more, and this weekend is actually a pretty sneaky good weekend. I was just kind of going through yesterday and, and looking at all the, the cards. Uh, Delaware has a good card this weekend because they have the Delaware Oaks with the Elate over there and Escape Claws. They, uh, Indiana Grand has the Indiana Derby, so they have a good stakes undercard. Arlington has the preview for Arlington Million. So this is the prep race for a lot of the horses that are trying to get into those Arlington Million races. And then Saratoga has the opening weekend. And then also at, at Los Alamitos, it's not a good betting race, but you're going to see game winner 
make his return, and he's going to look to prep, you know, most likely for the Travers. So this is a just for a, a weekend that's even before Del Mar opens, and a weekend that we wouldn't even normally have racing from Saratoga. This is a good a good racing weekend. There's a lot going on. So even if you're not just a Saratoga or Del Mar player, plenty of different places. I always like when some of the smaller tracks have their big day because then you get the big you get the stakes races all throughout the undercard. You get some horses that kind of get a chance to run for bigger money than they normally would. You'll get a couple state bred races or the local horses get their chance to kind of mix in with some of the shippers. So yeah, check out some of those undercard races at Indiana and at Delaware. They're uh, they're worth it. Yeah, I think the only one that you mentioned that to me um, is interesting is is the Arlington Park card there on Saturday. And, and that's mainly because I, I really can't figure out Indiana. And uh, I know that we've had a lot of West Coast representation in the Indiana Derby over the last few years. I haven't looked at the card but um, uh, or the field for that race in particular. But, you know, in the past we've seen, you know, uh, Doug O'Neill, I think P- Peter Erden since, you know, I mean, you have a lot of the West Coast guys that maybe look to that race as maybe a winnable field. Anybody out from the West Coast in this year's edition? Yeah, um, uh, the horse to beat in that race is uh, Mr. Money. Let me pull Let me pull uh, my past performances up right now. And he he's become really, really good as of late. So let's get to the uh, the entries for this year. And then, so and got- then at Delaware, uh, I like that mid the mid card pick five over there for some reason. I think I just kind of started falling in love with it years ago when I'd kind of log in and see what races are going on, and and I'd see that Delaware race three. There's a pick five there, and sometimes in these stakes laden cards, you could find a single or two, and then go deep in the other legs and and catch a nice payoff. So. I've grown to kind of like that Delaware pick five uh, for yeah, those who are looking at that card that Gino was talking about. So, oh, so here's for uh, for Indiana Grand for the Mr. Money, Long Range Toddy, Always Mining, Gray Magician. So that's not a bad field. No, no, out there, right there, and Math Wizard is kind of um a, like a more late developing kind of now horse, right? So Frolic Moore is in the mix too. That's it's actually a good group. And in the Indiana Oaks, um, prior to that. You know, that's a graded stakes race. So you have a couple graded stakes races on the card, and they're both big fields. You know, I have a field of 12 in the Indiana Oaks, and then you have a field of 11 in the Indiana Derby. So if you're just looking at, you know, because some some weeks it's not the best as far as, like, betting. It's not the the smartest. But if it's a week where you're just – you don't have the strongest opinion and you just want to maybe have a little action and, and have a little fun. It's it's sometimes nice to look at a couple different places, play a few different pick fours and kind of sit sit back. This might be a place where you can do that, a pick four, a pick five, get involved in some of the uh, the multi-race exotics and maybe you single in on Mr. Money or you try to take a shot against Mr. Money. So um, not, sure. a bad, not a bad horse racing weekend. And no, no, Mikey but really quickly, Ford, you, mentioned, you mentioned game winner running at La Salle. And by the way, I was at La Salle uh, several days uh, during the last weekend, my dad was uh, visiting, and uh, we had a horse racing extravaganza. Three straight double headers. It was uh, racing galore. A um, lot of really good time. But I'll tell you what, the turnout at La Salle on Saturday was phenomenal. I haven't seen something like that since uh, like was the that, Kentucky that was Derby the contest, right? The contest. And day. Dave won. Dave Weaver won the Dave contest. Dave Weaver won the contest. Yeah. You know, I was talking to him yesterday too. He um. He's like a really good contest player, and he should play a lot more of them just because the way that he plays is very fitting to a lot of rules of uh, the co- of the contest in particular. He's sure. a, just He's just a big exacta and a big trifecta Exactly player. what I was going to say. The and reason I didn't participate 
was because, see, when I see a card that's like really, really chalky, then to me, I'm looking at it from two perspectives. Number one, is there a horse that maybe is, let's just say, two to one at least? If I can maybe eke out two to one, that I could really, really just hammer and do, you know, $300 win bet or something like that if my bankroll allows for it. Or is there some type of ice cold play that I could do? Or maybe even like a three horse try box that I feel really, really good about and I could do it 10, 15 times, hope it brings back anywhere from 60 to 120 and then move up the standings. I couldn't find anything like that. So I opted out. And like you, you know, I saw Dave over there during the weekend. And, uh, you know, you're absolutely right about that because he's pretty good at identifying those ice cold opportunities, hence his name, well, Ice Cold Exacta. And, 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 you know, and another thing, <laughs> one, he is obviously he's been on live TV and he's been in situations for a long time. So like, I don't think he just gets nervous in, in that situation, you know, like he just he, he doesn't really get get a lot nervous. And two, he's lost a lot of money through the years. And we were joking about that, too. It's like you don't really get ler- nervous to lose a couple hundred bucks in your mythical bankroll. Or in your bankroll, you know, when you've done it before so many times. Sure, sure. It's it's now just know. to be clear, and I, I know you know this, but just to be clear, this is a live bankroll yeah, contest. Yeah, this was a live about. bankroll. It, yeah, it's a hundred dollar entry fee, and then you get a three hundred dollar voucher, which is tracked. And so um, it's one place show exact uh, trifecta. They recently allowed for doubles all the way until the final three races, I believe. And um, yeah, but like. I looked at that card and I was like, man, this is, this is kind of a tough one. I wonder what the winners, you know, where the winners going to be around. And I was kind of estimating around 1600 1700 and he, he cracked the 2G mark on it. So definitely good ha- handicapping there. And before we leave horse racing, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned Game Winner, who's going to be running this weekend at Los Alamitos, like you mentioned. Why would they be targeting the Travers and not the Pacific or were you, or are you kind of guesstimating? Is that the word that they're targeting the Travers? Well, I mean, I or? why would they run against older horses? The Travers would make more sense against three-year-olds. You know, a game winner's a three-year-old. So I don't know why they would go run against older horses at the Pacific Classic instead of running in against three-year-old. You know, that that seems like the most. I, and I'm pretty sure Baffert said. And that was an absolute brain fart on my end, and I yeah. apologize. You are absolutely right. I wasn't yeah. thinking there. Yeah. No. No. No problem. Um. So it's just a small field, so it's not like a race you're going to probably bet. It's just a watch race. Okay, how does he come back? Does he look like uh, he's been fine after he had a, a really wide trouble trip in the Derby, and we haven't you know, seen a whole lot since from him, so um, that, that'll be interesting. One more niche sport question before we jump into some, uh, some baseball, basketball, football talk. Wimbledon. I actually had a cool discussion with Craig Milkowski a couple of weeks, uh, maybe about a week ago before Wimbledon started, interviewed him, talked to him. And we went through everything. Have you been paying attention to him? I know you're kind of a tennis fan. You've been paying attention. Yeah, I mean, both women's and men's side has been pretty intriguing. Really it's good. Been very interesting. You know, um, it's funny because you you kind of hope that you see Nadal and Federer in the finals, but not too bad when the consolation is likely to be the Joker. Yeah, you know, and, so and you can have a winner out of yes, yeah, so against you can have each other in a semi. Yeah, yeah, you're guaranteed one Hall of Famer, you know, going into the finals and most likely another one as well. And you're almost for sure going to get two of the top players of all time. Definitely two of the top when, players in our yeah. era playing each other. And it's Serena, funny because they should almost do like a round robin between the three of them. I know they really you know, should because it's always 
whoever gets seeded, because it's generally those three, and then whichever one is the number one seed, which has been Djokovic for a while now, he's always kind of a luckier one because in the semifinals, they know he doesn't have to go up against the other two, you know? And they yeah. will flip it around sometimes, I think, so that way they don't always necessarily ma- like match up against each other. But when he's the, that one seed, he, he definitely gets the advantage. But Serena wasn't, you know, she hadn't been playing very well. She's getting a lot older you know, she's not quite in the kind of shape that she used to be. She's not quite nearly as dominant as she used to be. And boom, she's right there again. Yeah, and the women's game is in pretty good hands right now, too, because you kind of have the, the sunset, obviously, for the uh, Williams sisters. And, you know, there's some pretty good older players uh, in that circuit, but we're starting to see the emergence of a lot of young gals yeah. who are really, really good. And when we say young, we're talking about super young, the youngest a 15-year-old we're talking about, uh, Coco Graf, the youngest qualifier in a long time. I think maybe of either of all time or definitely in recent history as a 15-year-old. They've were where the men's side is so much more dominated by the top three. The women's side, I think in the last nine um, Grand Slams, they've been won by eight different women. And so yeah, that and it's I just mean, so uh, wide open. The other and thing, so too, is, is we're not, you know, a lot of, I mean, internationally, the game is, is obviously very strong. From America, we've just had a tough time developing guys who are, you know, top 10 type players with any kind of consistency. You know, the last, and he wasn't even a great, was probably like Andy Roddick. Roddick, yeah. You know, there's been some other guys who've kind of popped in, you know, top 20 in the world and haven't been able to maintain or stay there. They've had no longevity. But on the women's side, you know, they have the IMG Academy down in Florida, and it's producing some really, really good tennis players and uh, I think uh, you're going to see American representation, the Stars and Stripes, taking down a lot of these, uh, you know, championship-type uh, matches, uh, Grand Slam contests for, for years to come. So, um, you know, obviously today, Serena um, won with, in straight sets. Halep did the same. It should be a good finals. Uh, you know, obviously, they're not in the top three, neither of them right now. Williams, I believe, is the 11th seed in Halep, uh, I think, is the seventh seed. Yeah, I think, a, I mean, a lot of that with Serena is that she's just not playing as much, you know, because a lot of the seeding is based on, you know, your points that you're winning and you're accumulating, winning, you know, the church. I mean, she just had a baby. Right? Yeah, so. you know, she's just not, she's just not playing a ton, and she's just not, you know, she's, you know, she was winning in in nineteen ninety nine, I think was when she won her first. Isn't big, that something? Big Grand Slam. Yeah, you know. So that's it's just unbelievable the longevity that she's had, and I don't think most people, you know, that aren't huge tennis fans, because I'm not going to pretend like I'm some expert, but just I've recently now like prepping for Wimbledon I prepped and then I was really interested you know after doing the research for it so I've been paying a lot of attention to what was happening and and I don't think a lot of people even realize like you hear the names Djokovic and Nadal and Federer but I don't think we realize like these might be the three best tennis players of all time ever all playing at the same time against each other and yeah. it's, it's pretty incredible like it, it is really really tennis. incredible and, and it's basically like the equivalent of getting like uh you know, Brady and Manning and Breeze in every Super Bowl, you know, for the most part, you know, over yeah, a 15 year period. You know, you wonder how good the if if one of them was in a different era, like how good would they be and how dominant would they be if they didn't have to go against each other? You know, even because this is so individual to think about, wow, like how many majors would or majors, how many uh, Grand Slams would would and would any of them have? It it would be it's it, it really is incredible. And we, we I think I'm gonna watch a little more tennis over the next few years because we are kind of spoiled in that they won't be around forever now. You know, they, yeah. these guys are getting into their 30s, mid 30s, like 
late 30s now. And so we, you know, I, I'm going to watch as many chances as I can get. Yeah, we, we've been pretty fortunate uh, tennis-wise, you know, in the men's side that we've had some greats for really a long, really for my lifetime. Because when I was younger, Connors and McEnroe were the two biggies. And then it transitioned a little bit into like Yvonne Lindell and Boris Becker and Mats Vlander and some of those names, uh, Michael Chang. And then and then we get into like the Agassi, Pete Sampras period. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of a lull. And then these three have come around. So really, I mean, if you go back and look at all the Grand Slams, you know, those eight, nine names that I just mentioned cover almost a 40-year period and a majority of the Grand Slams. It's it's pretty cool. It's kind of similar in the women's game as well, but it's always, you know, it's it's kind of like anything in life, right? Like the, whether you're a real estate agent or insurance salesperson or whatever, the top 10% usually do 90% of the heavy lifting. And uh, that's definitely the case mm-hmm. in tennis. And there's a, there, I don't know if you got a chance to watch um probably our last note on on Wimbledon before we take a break and then and then shift over uh the Nadal Kyrgios match which if uh, if you don't know Kyrgios is a very like comparable to McEnroe in just that he's kind of flamboyant he's out there he's you know emotional he's temperamental he's not I don't want to say he's even he's not even as good he's just not like consistent enough and like mentally good enough to be a great player yet but talented wise he's awesome and he's like super cute and tricky you know with the way he plays the game trick shots all sorts of he's unbelievable though and he has a really good rivalry with Nadal and they had a in my opinion, one of the best matches, at least one of the better ones that I watched in, throughout the tournament, and he's fun to watch. He's a good, like a, a good personality for sports because you need personalities like that. And he's gonna he's gonna win a big a big tournament at some point. He's just gotta stay focused all the way through. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think he's might be might be a little bit too emotional. He he mm-hmm. might be a little bit. Um, you know, he needs a little bit more mental fortitude. I think he's too much of a hothead. Yep, no, you're to right. probably have any staying power. You know, like or to I win five or it. six matches in a row. He can, yeah. beat, he can upset one. You know, he can he can do it maybe once or twice in a row. But sometimes it's the fans. Sometimes it's he just starts to struggle. Sometimes it's a bad call. Like there are so many things that throw him off his game. Do you remember Milton Bradley in baseball? You remember him for the Dodgers days? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's one of those guys. He had like a ton of ability as well. I mean, it's kind of he a weird example, but that's the really first did, person yeah. that came to mind. You know, for me, is that you know, it's kind of like baseball. Same thing. It's like you're, it's, it's, it's a team game, but it, you have a lot of one-on-one moments. And you know, he would show these signs of brilliance. And the same thing. I mean, keep in mind, homeboy took down Nadal not that long ago. So uh-huh. this was kind great, of a grudge match. They have a back and forth. Know? I think they were like almost. T- I think they were tied before this in their in their head-to-head. Like three three, so he plays Nadal very well, um, and they don't like each other a lot, you know, when they talk about each other before. But well, I think that it, it Nadal probably looks at it like this guy doesn't really respect the game because he's unconventional, and I don't know if it's necessarily that he doesn't respect the game as much as that he's kind of a, you know, uh, he's of the new generation, like in baseball where they say let the let the boys play, let them have fun. You know, we don't have to be this squeaky clean choir boys playing by the book, playing by the rules. And there's a lot of unwritten rules in tennis in the same way that there are yeah. in baseball. And, and I'm and I'm but I, I think to your point, he the the difference with Kyrios is that he is too a little bit of a jerk. You know what yeah. I mean? He's he's not just like a flashy guy. He yeah. has been a little bit of a jerk before, you know, previously. So he has to he has to clean that up a little bit and mature a little bit. But he's definitely fun to watch. Yeah, and he, one more he quick got thing. Me interested. The funny thing, though, and and I think you were probably about to mention this uh, before I jumped in a moment ago, 
is that you know in one of the in one of the uh, rallies back and forth, uh, Nadal came up to the net and Kyrgios hit the ball really really hard and it went towards Nadal's chest. Typically, the protocol in the sport, and this is very un-American, by the way, and I think I, I think we wouldn't necessarily do this in any other sport here, but you apologize. You say sorry, right? And it's not something that we ever see here, uh, a sorry, outside of maybe an unintentional like slip of the pitch by a pitcher that hit somebody mm-hmm. in the head. You know what I mean? But that's typically not our way, and I don't think that's his way either. And he's like, sorry, I'm not going to say sorry. Like, he's a big boy. He could use his racket to prevent yeah. the ball coming towards his chest. Like, come on. You know what I mean? And I remember from my playing days, sorry was a part of it. You know, I was I was raised, I was trained by an old school guy when I played Davis Cup in my youth. And uh, yeah, you kind of had to apologize when when necessary. And there's times where you're getting your butt kicked and you're like, I don't feel like apologizing for Jack, you know what? And, and the protocol or etiquette would say that you would have to. Let's take a quick commercial break, and we're going to come back and talk a little football, baseball, and whatever else is on the mind of friend of the show, Rick Saratella of the NFL Draft Bible. Stay with us. We will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? <laughs> Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you? It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, and we have uh, our guest for today waiting on the line. Why don't you introduce him, Mike? 
Yeah, good friend of the show. Been on now probably, what, seven, eight, nine times, something like that. We'll have to go back and look at the historical data. Rick Ciratella of the NFL Draft Bible. Hey, Rick, we were just talking about the uh, Wimbledon tournament that's going on right now, and uh, I'm a big fan of Co- Corey Coco Goff. Uh, have you had a chance to get into Wimbledon at all, and are you a tennis fan? You know, I can't say I've had a chance to see much of it, and I'm not sure what the leaderboards say, but as long as I'm on top of the Mike Abadir show leaderboards for guest appearances, <laughs> then I'm a happy man. <laughs> awesome, man. We're Well, we're, we're just a few weeks away from the starts of uh, NFL training camp, 56 days to be exact for opening day. I believe that will be a uh, midweek game like they usually do it on a Thursday or something like that. But what are some of the big off-season stories that you're kind of uh, intrigued by? Well, you know, I think, first off, I'm excited because uh, it's first the NFL 100-year anniversary, and I'm happy about being up in Canton for the festivities. It's going to be a week-long event. They're going to kick off the 100th season of the NFL, and, uh, you know, it's going to be great because we're going to get NFL Draft Bible is going to be up at the Hall of Fame. We're going to pop over to the Cleveland Browns, check on our friend uh, Odell Beckham, see how he's doing over there. We'll pop down to the Steelers camp, then we'll come home to the Giants camp, and then uh, the college football season. They're actually celebrating their 150th season of college football, and, of course, uh, Rutgers-Princeton right here in my backyard, the first uh, uh, game of all time, and of, and uh, just, you know, excited. It's like the college football season never ended. I was waiting for a break or a gap, and now next week I'll be down in Charlotte for the ACC media day. So I, I think just the fact that it never stops, and as you know, we can't stop, we won't stop. I'm just intrigued by all of it. I love the college. I love the NFL. I love uh, the legalized sports gambling now here. They got the week one spread. So uh, what, what more do you want out of life? Oh, man, that all sounds so good. So I got to ask, is the NFL Draft Bible going to be coming out with remember, – remember 25 years ago, and I can't believe it's been that long, the NFL came out with their uh, 75th, you know, all 75 team on offense and defense, mm. I'm sure they're going to be doing an all-century team, but I'm, I'm curious to see if the NFL Draft Bible is coming out with their version of the all-century team. <laughs> Man, you you know what? We're, we're going to have to uh, get you on the consulting services side yeah. of the NFL Draft Bible. I love that idea, and that's, that's a great point because that was so cool to see all those players on the field at the same time from different genres and different eras. And I would have to imagine that that something is planned for that, and you know, I, I, I really guess hope now they we do. have to. Yeah, no, I'm I'm almost certain they will. I guess now NFL Draft Bible's on the hook. We're going to have to do something like that too, right after we get the uh, 2020 prospectus off of our chest, because we'll be unveiling that next month as well, and uh, you can get all the top prospects and kind of a draft guide, preseason draft guide going into the year if you want to know who all the top prospects are. Well, you, you mentioned the, a team um, in passing that I wanted to pick your brain a little bit more on. And a team that I think when you have conversations about the NFL season this year, a lot of them are going to start with or very early on they're going to mention the Cleveland Browns. And so now, you know, so many years where this team's kind of been like a laughing stock in the NFL or one of the bottom feeders and you know, not talented, not run very well. Now you have a team with a ton of talent. And for the first time in a while, 
some expectations. So it's going to be a little different than nobody's expecting a whole lot of you at the end of last year and you win a few games. Now when everyone's watching you this year and everybody's expecting you to be a good team, how do you think Cleveland's going to uh, go, going to prepare? Or how, how do you think Cleveland's going to perform this year? Well, it's, it's interesting to see that they're now the favorites to win that division, yeah. right? So according to Vegas anyway. So, I mean, I can't find many people who will tell you that someone other than the Browns will win that division. So um, I think it's a great time in the NFC when you got guys like Baker Mayfield, uh, Patrick Mahomes, even Andrew Luck, all these young gunners now aiming for Brady. And one of these years, the Patriots have to crumble. But it's almost like the Patriots get a free pass because, you know, they get the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Jets twice a year. So you can pretty much hand them that division. Um, And then, you know, they get home field advantage most likely, which is always tough. So uh, in terms of the Browns, I think, you know, Odell Beckham should have a career year if he can stay healthy. And, you know, the weapons that they now have, I mean, uh, I, I know that Kareem Hunt is on the roster, and uh, they have Jarvis Landry, a little juice is loose there, and uh, Antonio Callaway is an emerging player, David Njoku. I mean, uh, Baker Mayfield will not be short of targets, so I think this team can definitely uh, put some points on the board. And then when you look on the other end of the ball on defense, they have some really good, young, talented uh, players to build around, uh, guys like Miles Garrett and uh, some of the recent draft picks. So, I mean, you have to be excited for once uh, if you're the Cleveland Browns. And I think um, I think Cleveland might even be uh, getting the, the NFL draft soon. They might be one of the cities. I can't even keep up with it anymore. But uh, if they're not one of the cities, they're, they're trying to be one of the cities. And they are suddenly a team on the rise for sure. Hey, here in L.A., obviously, the uh, Rams made all the noise by getting into the Super Bowl. They finished with a 13-3 record. But the, uh, the also, uh, the, you know, the, the other team is the Chargers, and they finished 12-4, and just a game behind, not getting nearly the publicity that the Rams got. They, well, they lost any- to the same team the Rams lost to just a couple rounds before. You know, yeah, he just ran into the same team. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, I guess my question really is, you know, what are your thoughts here on the West Coast with with the Chargers? Are they going to be taking a step forward this year? Or, I mean, how, how long do you think that they could just kind of be that average team with Phillip Rivers and, you know, getting into the playoffs, then going a couple of years and not getting in, and then – you know, having the season that they had last year, I guess, where do they go from here? Because that's a team, talent-wise, that's usually looked a lot better on paper than the results have shown. Last year, the results kind of reflected the talent that they had. But I'm not necessarily considering them a Super Bowl contender. Am I wrong? And with today's news, too, from Melvin Gordon. Yep, exactly. Sure. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, as long as Phillip Rivers is, is there they're going to have a shot as far as I'm concerned, because I, I think he's one of the top quarterbacks in the league and, and uh, the man is experienced. He's a intense competitor. And, you know, as long as Phillip Rivers is there, there's going to be a shot. So, you know, I think they finally started to kind of come to fruition last year and, and kind of put the pieces together. It's just about taking the next step now. And can Joey Bosa stay healthy and, 
you add a piece like a Jerry Tillery now that, you know, hey, if I double-team Bosa, well, then, you know, Tillery might be loose one-on-one. And then, you know, they bring in a guy like Thomas Davis, some incredible veteran leadership coming over from the Carolina Panthers. He's a true gamer. And uh, Derwin James, oh, how, how good did he play last year? So the defense is there intact. And, um, you know, now it's time for them to just kind of take that next step and, and again, it's about getting that home field advantage. I believe you got to win your division, and then try to get that best record. And if that's you know the, the the way to beat the Patriots, and I'm not sure that'll even work. But um, again, I think New England's still uh, the the team to knock off. And and as much as it's painful for me to say that, and uh, I want to see some new teams come forward. I, I just. I don't see it until I believe it, right? But I, I would imagine that the Chargers are right there. We talked about the Browns and we talked about the Chiefs, and I think the Colts are geared up to make a run. I mean, the Chargers are just as good as any of those teams we mentioned. So um, I think they're right there. And, I, you know, the Rams, I want to say, is there going to be a little bit of Super Bowl fatigue playing all those games, getting their ass handed to them? Uh, maybe some of that. You know, Sean McVay, uh, hot air balloon got deflated a little bit, so I'll be curious to see that. And and also, you know, having having that season of film now for you know the, these defensive coordinators, there's, there's some pretty smart men here now around the league. And uh, you know, we mentioned the Chargers, Gus Bradley's a former head coach. I mean, there's some good defensive coordinators now that have some film to study this Rams offense. And believe me, uh, the league will catch up, and I'm sure McVay will adapt and adjust but it's just something to keep an eye on something to watch you know i don't disagree with you there on the rams but i think because of their uh, division you know they get the cardinals a couple times and the niners a couple times both young teams that don't really they probably won't factor into the equation when it relates to the playoffs the seahawks are an emerging team but they're not necessarily like a scary team i think the rams will will be able to get to the playoffs once again but i think their biggest concern really has to be Gurley because he's one of those guys that as long as you got Gurley on your team, you're going to be really, really good. He's that type of guy, that type of top two, top three, whether it's, in, in, you know, and all, obviously all fantasy players know if you have him on your team, you could probably win every week, right? And on the field, it was kind of the same thing. It mirrored that, that fantasy effect, if you will. But I don't know. I, I think Gurley's done. I know that's a strong position to take, but from what I see, from what I hear, the days of Todd Gurley being that dominant back are long gone. Well, there's a reason why they traded up to draft that running back uh, where they did, Darrell Henderson. So it would not surprise me if Henderson actually winds up being uh, the leading rusher there. And uh, it's unfortunate, you know, I I forget where C.J. Anderson went to, but, I mean, here's a guy who was on the street, street free agent, played so well uh, down the stretch and and into that Super Bowl run. And uh, I'm pretty sure the Rams, I think he signed with Detroit. There you go. So, the Rams decided not to bring him back, but then they decided to trade up and select a running back. So that that tells you all you need to know right there. Interesting point I'm, there. I'm nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous because there was something weird. We just didn't get a lot of information when Gurley was uh, towards the end of the year last year about Gurley. And we're still not. Right, we're and we not. haven't. That's, that's the thing all along. And like as a fan even, you know, I'm a Rams fan and I read a lot of things and I, I'm following a lot of, you know, Rams, you know, Rams uh, d- discussions and Rams d- podcasts and this and, and it's just you don't hear anything about what was really going on what's happened like what this guy was unbelievable the last you know year and a half two years and then all of a sudden some sorts of injuries but we just don't know what when where why 
moving forward and everyone's been so hush hush about it and it's so weird we find everything out about everything and we just don't know anything about him well you know it's it's uh it's interesting if you did a case study and and i would be curious to see you know some of these just dominant running backs just fall off the face of the earth and you go back i think about priest holmes was so dominant for like a four season stretch and then that was it and Sean Alexander, I mean, this guy ran for 2,000 yards, and he was probably out of the league about two years later. Um, and Jamal Lewis, so I wonder if the wear and tear, I mean, listen, this guy, uh, Gurley, had over 1,200 touches in four seasons. So you have yeah. to wonder how much of a wear and tear, how much of an impact did that have on him. And then uh, you take a look at, you know, not too many running backs are getting that kind of touches, and, and maybe there's a reason why. You know, that's what makes somebody like Frank Gore such a such a marvel, such a like, wow, you know, how how does he do it at his age? It's really, really unbelievable. It's definitely the exception and not the rule, because as you started rattling off those guys, Rick, I started making excuses initially in my head. I'm like, well, Rick, though, Priest Holmes, come on, man. He was, you know, cut a couple of times and was a cast off from Baltimore and there was some good years wasted there. But then as you started naming more of the other guys as well, I'm like, well, yeah, he's got a point. And then I'm like, well, Jamal Lewis, well, he had a lot of carries in Tennessee maybe. And then I'm like, you know what? No, there's no excuses. You're absolutely right. I think they get to that 28, 29, 30 mark. And the more carries you've got, you're expired. You you move on to the next player. You just can't do it. And, um, you know, I guess if you think about it and analogize it, take a track star and have him get tackled you know, between practice and everything else, you know, a thousand times a year brought to the ground, is he going to run as fast? Probably not. We got to take a quick commercial break, Rick. Do you have a moment to uh, spare with us and, and keep talking it up? You know it, brother. Awesome. Let's take it. Our last commercial break. We'll come back and talk a little bit more football. Talk maybe a little bit Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, baseball, all-star game, etc. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel 
This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, the boys will be taking a trifecta approach to outdoor recreation. They'll discuss summer fishing tactics and how to make the most of your summer by camping like a champ. Joining Jim and Trav will be Laramie Miller from Last of a Breed, Melissa Bachman of Winchester Deadly Passion, and Keith Daffron with Vex's Boats. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the Show.com. Now, back to this week's program. Closing it out here on the Mike Abadir Show with Rick Saratella. Talking a little NFL and bouncing all around. A little worried about the Rams and, and Todd Gurley and then moving forward. Um, is You know, we talked about the Browns and how, you know, the Patriots are still going to be up top until you have to dethrone them. Any teams, you know, up in the top tier, Kansas City, uh, New Orleans, uh, anyone else who you love, dislike, any just kind of thoughts overall on some of the top teams, Rick? You know, I, I really think that, Pass interference call is going to motivate that Saints squad, and I think that's going to be a team on a mission. I would look out for them. I think they're going to be on a revenge tour here, and I'm going to put them right now as the favorites in the NFC. Is going to be New Orleans Saints, and then you know in the AFC, I think we we covered them pretty good. I actually have this really strong feeling that the Colts are ready to kind of take this next step. I love, first of all, from the top down, what, what a job uh, Chris Ballard has done. And then down to Frank Wright and then down to all the assistants. And uh, finally, finally surrounding Andrew Luck with, with some talent to um, get the job done. You know, I'm going to say, hey, let's go Colts and Saints Super Bowls. What are we on, 54? <laughs> That that would be a pretty cool uh, rematch from uh, Manning versus Breeze to uh, the guy that Manning right. passed, passed the torch down to, and uh, yeah, I think I mean I know Gino was uh, he was hot on the the Colts um, probably before uh, most people before the run even last year. Well, you know they the took Colts advantage were undervalued. You yeah, know? and they took advantage last year of what's been a wide open division and a schedule that was a little top-heavy early, and then the back of their schedule was very, very soft. And they just – so all you have to do is – a lot of times in the NFL is just win the games you're supposed to win, right? Yeah, keep you in know? mind, by the way, they are they were a two-point conversion from winning that division. Yeah. right. Remember when they decided to go for After it? After a brutal early start. I mean, at the beginning of the year, yeah. we, we didn't know – Anything about Andrew Luck's health coming into the season? Remember, at the beginning of the season, they took him out in one instance to throw a Hail Mary at the end of the game because they they thought the backup quarterback had a better chance of getting the ball down the field. And it was almost like that was the turning point right then when everyone started saying, "Uh uh-oh, Andrew Luck's done. He has nothing left. And then right then, he just kind of started laughing and said, okay, I I don't got a few weeks to at least come back from an injury, get ready. And and that was when he really kind of flipped flip the switch and I, I'm right there with you I think they're going to be a really hot team and I, I think in a division that never is 
great, right? It's just a, it's a winnable division every year. None of the teams scare uh, you at home or on the road. They're all beatable. You could win into or lose any of them, but they're not. It's like you said, I would I would not be so, be shocked with like a healthy. Andrew Luck, if they could just turn into a perennial playoff team because that division, like what the Patriots have been able to do through the years. You know, and, and since we're talking about Andrew Luck and, and I, you know, I'm actually going to drop an interview tomorrow. I had a chance to catch up with Ron Jaworski and Brian Baldinger, but uh, one of the favorite, I, I don't know if you guys have caught this, but if anybody's out there that's a football fan, you love X's and O's. I had a chance to speak with these guys and they told me about the NFL film sessions that they do. You know, I have the NFL Game Pass, so, you know, you need a subscription to view them. But Andrew Luck was a good one. Um, Mike Daniels from the Packers, what a character he was. Akeem Hicks from the Saints. But they sit down um, with these, you know, superstar players, Juice Landry, and they break down film. And since we were talking about Luck, it just came to mind. But I literally, I don't watch much TV, but, of course, I started watching these things. And they're nice because they're like maybe 10-minute episodes i ran through the whole batch i think there's like 17 or 18 uh film sessions and if you just love breaking down film i mean these things are gold i mean you have to check them out they're just so much fun to watch speaking of breaking down film when teams next year go up against the chicago bears you know they they were a quiet 12 and four. I bet if you ask most people right now, since it's been, uh, you know, six months since uh, the, the NFL regular season ended and you asked them, what was the bears record last year? Not very many people would tell you 12 and four, but what history tells us is that year in year out, there's always a team that looks uh, pretty dominant. That's got a really good record. The year before was the Vikings the year before that, so on and so forth. There's always a team. And then the next year they fall flat. Where do the bears go from their 12 and four record? You know, I think they're trending in the right direction. And, you know, I remember that first game of the season, I think they were on national TV and Khalil Max just, you know, stripping footballs and uh, recovering fumbles. And, and uh, you know, that, that uh, Matt Nagy offense there, you know, is, is looking pretty good. Now, uh, Tariq Cohen, is he going to be the workhorse back? I, think, I guess they drafted David Montgomery. Does he fill the void of Howard? Oh, that's fine, and Danny, that'll take care of itself. I guess my concern is, is Mitchell Trubisky really a guy that when I go to bed, I rest my you know, head on my pillow and I yeah. envision Mitchell Trubisky raising, hoisting the Vince Lombardi trophy? I got a tough time envisioning that one. And I think that's really, to be quite honest, what's holding them back. And unfortunately, they just selected him two years ago, so I don't think they're moving on from him anytime soon. I just think that, you know, much like how Kirk Cousins is holding back the Vikings, um, I thought they were going to be a team that could potentially take a step forward last year, and we saw them uh, fall back. And, you know, again, I think, you know, the Bears, the way I'm looking at it, uh, probably are the favorite to win this division again because, you know, the Packers with the new head coach there, I think there's going to be a little bit of a transition. There could be uh, some underlying power struggle. I think it'll be uh, worth monitoring how Rodgers and, and LaFleur work out. And then, you know, I don't know uh, if there's a coach on a hotter seat than Matt Patricia there in Detroit. So, uh, you know, I, I like the Bears to win that division. I just don't think they're in the upper echelon of – you know, the Saints, we talked about the Rams. I'll even put the Seahawks and the Eagles uh, ahead of the Bears right now. But I do think they'll be in, in the mix and in contention. 
Uh, let me throw out a couple quick numbers at you guys. Not necessarily making a case for or against, but it's interesting nonetheless. The Bears are the only team in the NFL that scored more than 400 points and held their opponents under 300. They had 421 for 283 against. That 421 points for, talking about Mitchell Trubisky, the only teams in the NFC that scored more than them were the teams that you would expect, the Saints and the Rams, and then kind of an unexpected team, the Seahawks, which really turned it on offensively in the second half of the season. Other than that, no team found a, a way to score more points than the Bears in the NFC. So and I th- I think interesting kind stuff of, there. To kind of piggyback on what Rick was saying, I think they're a well-built team, and they, they remind me of the type of team that can be a very good regular season team repeatedly. But I just worry about when the game slows down. It's kind of a lot of the same gripes that people have had with Jared Goff in that they worry that you know, in a nice system with a coach with coach who can set things up very well for them and make it very easy for them when they have to call audibles, when things change in the middle of a game, can they make the adjustments on their own? And I think we still have to see that from Goff. He he did play pretty well, though, against the Saints last year and in a couple of the playoff games. And I think we really have to see that from someone like Trubinsky because he just they feel to me like still a really good regular season type team who could get into the playoffs win their division um, beat up on the teams that they're better than especially with their defense they're they are able to kind of put themselves in such a good spot and they have a, a really nice margin for error on the offense because their defense is so good well you know what's funny is that the, the there are people that said the same things about Tom Brady after his first sure oh years. absolutely you Until know and then it. like you said Goff too and you know Goff found a way to get to the Super Bowl so but you guys are both right the, the kid's got to prove it. He's got to do it. Got to win a playoff game and then another and then establish some consistency before he can assert himself as one of the top flight guys. One other team before we shift, shift from football, Rick. The Raiders. Yes. Now, I have it on good authority. Now, this isn't something that you're going to hear as fact from Mort or Sheft or anybody else. And I know there's been some rumors about it, but I have it from the horse's mouth himself. Gruden does not want Carr to be his quarterback. So, and I can get into the details of how I know up to an extent. Where do they go from here as they approach this season? Are they still trying to win? Or are they trying to get Tua? How do you approach this year? Gruden's not one of those guys that necessarily likes to lose, but you're going to need yeah. that QB for the future, and they want to go into Vegas with a lot of hype. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how, how I would approach it if I'm Gruden because the guy doesn't like to lose, but when you got a 10-year contract, you can't afford a few L's, right? Yeah, he's not going anywhere anytime soon, right? So, uh, you know, I can confirm I've heard the same thing from – very reliable sources. So um, they did try to improve the position, but they weren't going to take a quarterback or sign a quarterback just for the sake of change. And the scenario, the guys, uh, the guy that they really wanted was Kyler Murray. And, you know, they just couldn't work out a trade that made sense to do that. I think that from what I've heard, from what I've heard on the inside, from what I've heard just from Gruden speaking is that this roster basically needed to be gutted from top to bottom. I mean, uh, and, and that's what they did this offseason. They brought in John Gruden-type players. And you know what? He's got to change the culture. And you're not going to go – it's possible in the NFL to go from worst to first, but you have to have a lot of, a lot of ifs happen. And I don't think the Raiders 
are in that position. I think what they are trying to do is kind of rebuild but improve at the same time. And I don't buy, especially a guy like Gruden, but I don't buy that anybody in the NFL is, is playing a tank or trying to lose or you know, playing for Tua because, you know what, first of all, there's a short leash in this league. We've seen head coaches come and go in one season, GMs too. So, you know what, you, you do poor enough, you're going to be in that unemployment line. So I don't think anybody um, plays by that philosophy. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Gruden, I know for sure, ain't coming in the office every day at 4 a.m. to go loose. And I do think that there is some credence moving into the new city with the draft, being in (laughs) Vegas, and them probably having a high pick again. And I know they've been stockpiling these first-round picks. There's a good chance that they're in the contention for a Tua or – uh, a Herbert or a Fromm. So, you know, I do think you will see a new quarterback selected uh, by the Oakland Raiders and the draft held in Las Vegas. And I think the other thing that plays into it is just the, the contract. I mean, how much dead money if they just cut David Carr, uh, Derek Carr? I mean, between him and, and uh, Mac, they were just making too much money, and that's why one of them had to go. And now if they can get rid of Carr, I don't, I don't think – you know, they could find a team quietly. They shopped them. I don't think they could take find a team that would take on that salary. So um, they're stuck with them, at least for another season. They're going to try to make it work, and Antonio Brown will put on his best face to try and be happy. But this team's at least two years away uh, from really being a playoff competitor, in my opinion. Well, here's my prediction, and we only have about a minute and change before we close here, so we'll close with you, Rick. That I, I think that that they're going to have a nice season. They're going to have a better season than people expect. I think that Carr and Brown are going to make for a good connection and at the very least, maybe make Carr more tradable, right? Increase his trade value. You know what? Nothing wrong with, with them finishing with eight, nine wins, you know, maybe uh, creating a little bit of excitement before they leave Oakland and Im- Im- improving his stock. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe they find a way to sneak into the playoffs or something like that. And if you got to make a switch, then you got to make a switch. Uh, speaking of switching, let's quickly switch gears. Super excited for, you know what tomorrow is, Gino? Red Sox Dodgers. Red Sox Dodgers. I wish we had more time to talk oh, about baby. it. But this is going to be a, a big one. We're going to exclude your Yankees for a moment, Rick. But um, <laughs> this world, this is the World Series rematch, obviously. Um I think it means a little bit more to Boston to start yeah, out absolutely. of the gate with. They, got, uh, they have you know, to because they're yeah. dude, they're still fourth in the wild card right now. I mean, they've been playing well, but they still are behind three other teams in yep. in the wild card. So they they're not in the playoffs right now. Cleveland's playing good ball. The Oakland A's are playing good ball too. Tampa's not a team that's going to necessarily just hit a wall. So and and I think they're too far behind the Yankees likely to catch them. So this is big. If they can come out and you know win two of three or sweep the Dodgers, it just gives them a good start to the second half. Absolutely. Well, congrats to the U.S. women's. They provide a lot of excitement, the uh, women's national soccer team. And uh, Rick, thank you, my man. Been great talking Thanks, to Rick. you. Love these barbershop type talks. We'll do it more as the season gets closer. Everyone, Absolutely. thank you for listening. Have a fantastic sports weekend and get all your information from the NFL Draft Bible, anything NFL and college football related. Have a great sports weekend, everyone. 
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.